Okay, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you here. We have quorum. The Lord said whether there are two or three gathered, and I see more than two or three here. So uh, we're going to get started because we want to take advantage of the time as much as possible. And um, actually, before we begin, we want to ask the Lord's blessing. So let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for the wonderful spiritual food that we've been receiving here at... uh, this uh, series of meetings. It's such a blessing to be here at GYC. And Father, we just ask that as we study this uh, topic on the special resurrection, that uh, your Holy Spirit will open our minds and our hearts. I know that uh, we have a little bit of information overload perhaps, but uh, I ask that you will clear up our minds that we might be able to understand what we're going to study. And we thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a class, this is not a sermon, and so um, what I want to do is, if possible, save the questions till about 10 minutes till the, uh, after I finish. We'll leave a period at the end so that you can ask questions, because if we have questions uh, at every stage of the presentation, we're not going to be able to get through the material. So um, we'll try and stop at about, uh, I would say, 25 minutes to um, 8. The next meeting is at 7.45, and that will give us 10 minutes to answer some questions. Uh, Permit me, first of all, to mention that in the Old Testament, there were three notable resurrections. And I'm only going to mention these. I wish we had time to read, but I'll give you the references. The first resurrection as far as we know, in human history was Moses. And uh, the information for that is found in Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6. Two interesting details there. We're told there that um, God buried Moses. The only person in the Bible that we know of that God buried. And secondly, nobody knew where his grave was, which is very unusual among the Israelites, the Hebrews, because they very carefully marked the graves of their heroes. Then, of course, we meet Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, what's he doing there if he died and God buried him? Well, he must have resurrected. And then you, to cap it all off, you go to Jude, verse 9, where it says that when Moses died, there was a fight over the body of Moses. Don't believe me, they weren't fighting over his carcass. There was a fight because Michael the archangel had come to resurrect Moses. By the way, it's the same individual who is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4 where it says that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. So Moses was the first notable resurrection in the Old Testament. Then the second resurrection was uh, the son of the widow of Zarepta. And uh, that is found in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verses 17 to 22. And then there's a third resurrection in the Old Testament, which is very unusual. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story. You might want to read it. 2 Kings 13, verse 21, where an individual was thrown into the grave where Elisha was. And when he touched Elisha's bones, he resurrected. Now, I believe that's because Elisha is a type of Christ. Elijah is the forerunner. Elisha is the one who brings about uh, the, the Reformation in Israel after the work that Elijah has done. And so, uh, Elisha being a symbol of Christ, uh, I believe that uh, those who come in contact with Christ, uh, though they be dead, yet shall they live, as Jesus said. Now, in the New Testament, we have um, actually four resurrections of individuals who died, who resurrected and died again. I'll mention those. First, you have the son of the widow of Nain. That's found in Luke 7, verses 11 to 15. Uh, Luke 7, 11 to 15. A second person that was resurrected by Jesus was Jairus, the daughter of Jairus. And that's found in Luke 8, 41 uh, and 42, and then verses 49 to 55. And Ellen White has something interesting to say about these resurrections, these three resurrections. Of course, you have Lazarus in John 11. 
Ellen White says in volume 1 of Selected Messages 304, During his ministry, Jesus raised the dead to life. He raised the son of the widow of Nain, the daughter of Jairus, and Lazarus. But these were not clothed with immortality. After they were raised, they continued to be subject to death. Uh, the fourth person who was resurrected in the New Testament was uh, someone who was resurrected by the Apostle Paul. Eutychus, who fell out the window. Remember that story? Uh, that's found in Acts chapter 20 and verses 9 and 10. Then in the New Testament, we have uh, some people who resurrected, who died and resurrected and will not die again. And uh, the story is found in Matthew chapter 27. If you go with me there quickly, Matthew chapter 27 and verses 51 to 53. Matthew 27, verses 51 to 53. Speaking about the death of Jesus, it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now it gives the impression that they were raised that day before the resurrection of Jesus, but verse 52 says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of their graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Uh, now, I want to read you an um, interesting statement from Ellen White about this group. Volume 1 of Selected Messages, pages 304 and 305. She says, But those who came forth from the grave at Christ's resurrection were raised to everlasting life. They were the multitude of captives that ascended with him as trophies of his victory over death and the grave. So these individuals, you can imagine what it must have been like because I, Ellen White, we're going to notice in a moment, uh, actually explains that these individuals were uh, martyrs from the very beginning of human history till the times of Christ, which makes it possible that... Uh, Maybe Abel was among that group. And perhaps even John the Baptist was in that group. Because, you know, he, he was martyred. Um, and uh, Ellen White has this to say about uh, this group, Desire of Ages, page um, 786. Speaking about this group, she says, They were those who had been co-laborers with God and who at the cost of their lives had borne testimony to the truth. Now they were to be witnesses for him who had raised them from the dead. And by the way, these were the ones who ascended with Jesus when Jesus went to heaven. Uh, in fact, let me read you that statement, just a short statement from Desire of Ages, page 833. Ellen White says, All heaven was waiting to welcome the Savior to the celestial courts. As he ascended, he led the way. And the multitude of captives set free at his resurrection followed. Now, um, the traditional view in the Adventist church is that the 24 elders are this group that resurrected. But there are several reasons why this cannot be possible. And I'll only mention one of them. And that is that Ellen White makes it very clear in Desire of Ages, the last three pages of Desire of Ages, that when... Jesus ascended with those who resurrected with him. The 24 elders were already present there in heaven. And Ellen White also makes it very clear that the 24 elders are actually the representatives of the worlds that never sinned. She makes it very explicit there. And you read those last three pages of Desire of Ages and you're going to discover that. Uh, so the 24 elders in Revelation 4 are already there before Jesus arrives in Revelation chapter 5 at his ascension. And so obviously if they're already there, they can't be the ones that are coming back with Jesus. Um, another statement by Ellen White, this is uh, volume 1 of Selected Messages, page 305. Uh, uh, actually, let me go back a little bit here. Uh, Jesus resurrected the first fruits, right? He was the first fruits. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 says that Jesus resurrected the first fruits. But what about this group that resurrected with Jesus? Were they also first fruits? 
Yes, they were first fruits. Now, how do we understand that Jesus is the first fruits from the dead and this group is also the first fruits? Uh, I'll explain it. It has to do with the Hebrew feasts. You know that uh, there were the three spring feasts, uh, the early spring feasts were uh, Passover, unleavened bread, and what was the third one? The wave sheaf that was waved before the Lord. Now, Jesus died on Friday. That's the Passover. The next day begins unleavened bread. First fruits, or the wave sheaf, always fell on the Sabbath after Passover. And so, and you can find that in Leviticus chapter 23. And so, when was first fruits celebrated uh, during the year that Jesus died? It was celebrated on the first day of the week. So you have Passover... You have uh, unleavened bread, and then the third day you have the first fruits. And of course, we know that Jesus that day ascended uh, to heaven to his Father. And he presented himself to his Father. Remember, he said to Mary, Don't touch me, I've not yet ascended to my Father. And that evening he says to the disciples, Touch me. So he must have ascended sometime in between. Now, the interesting thing is that not only during the first fruits were, were the first fruits of barley waved before the Lord, but there was one other feast where first fruits were waved before the Lord, and that was the Feast of Pentecost. At Pentecost, also, the first fruits of wheat were taken and they were waved before the Lord as well. Now, let me ask you what does Pentecost commemorate? It commemorates the, the ascension of Christ. And his installation in heaven as what? As high priest and king of the kingdom of grace. And who did he take with him up there when he ascended to heaven to become the high priest and to sit on the throne of grace with his father? He took those who resurrected with him as the what? First fruits. Because on the feast of Pentecost, if you read in Leviticus 23, first fruits were also presented at the feast of Pentecost. And so you have these two First fruits. Allow me to read you from Ellen White. First of all, about Jesus as the first fruits. Desire of Ages 785 and 786. Ellen White says, Christ arose from the dead as the first fruits of those that slept. He was the antitype of the wave sheaf. And his resurrection took place on the very day when the wave sheaf was to be presented before the Lord. And then speaking about the multitude, she says this Desire of Ages 786. Um, let me see if I can... Okay, here it is. She says, So those who had been raised were to be presented to the universe as a pledge of the resurrection of all who should believe in Christ as their personal Savior. So you notice there's several resurrections in the Old Testament. There's several resurrections in the New Testament. And then, of course, at the end of time, you have two great resurrections. You have the first resurrection and you have the second resurrection. Uh, the first resurrection is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 4. We are, I'm not even going to read that passage because we already know it. Uh, the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ rise first. The general resurrection of, or the second resurrection is the resurrection of whom? Of the wicked. And that takes place when? That takes place after the millennium because Revelation says the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were ended. So you have two resurrections. Now let me put it this way so we can understand it a little bit better. Let's talk first of all about the righteous. We were all born from our mothers and we lived for the first time. If we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and we died, when Jesus comes, what is he going to do? We're going to resurrect in the first resurrection and then we're going to live what? A thousand years and forever to never die again. Now notice the wicked. There's this wicked person that was born from his mother. He wasn't considered wicked when he was born. But he lives his life, his wicked life. He dies before Jesus comes. Then Jesus comes and what happens with that person who died? He stays what? He stays dead. During the thousand years, he's dead. What happens after the thousand years? 
this individual resurrects and he lives for the second time. Are you with me? The righteous live for the second time, but they don't die anymore. They live forever. The wicked resurrect and live for the second time, but then what's going to happen to them? They're going to suffer second death. You cannot have a second death unless you have the first death. And by the way, the second death is always spoken of as taking place after the millennium. And it has to do directly with the wicked. But what we especially came to talk about here was the special resurrection. You say, what's that about the special resurrection? Well, there is going to be a resurrection before Jesus actually arrives at planet Earth at his second coming. That is a special resurrection. You say, now where does the Bible talk about that special resurrection? Well, there are going to be two groups that are going to res resurrect in that special resurrection. In a little while, I'm going to give you the chronology of how, when it takes place uh, in the context of the second coming of Jesus. But let's talk, first of all, about a special group of wicked people that are going to resurrect when Jesus returns at the beginning of the millennium. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Revelation 1 and verse 7. It says here, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Let me ask you, those who pierced him, are they wicked or righteous? Didn't we just say that the wicked are going to resurrect after the millennium? But this is happening when? At the second coming. So is there a special group that's going to resurrect at the second coming of Jesus? Yes, those who what? Those who pierce Jesus Christ. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 23. There's three verses that I want to share here on the special resurrection of the wicked. Matthew chapter 23, and let's read verses 37 to 39. 23, 37 to 39. Here Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And now notice this. By the way, he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. For I say to you, you shall not see me anymore till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now Ellen White uses that verse for two different occasions. In, uh, let me see if I wrote this down here. In Desire of Ages 580, she applies this text to the second coming. In Great Controversy 662, she applies it to after the millennium. Because believe it or not, some people are going to die three times. <laughs> Those who pierced him are going to die three times. They're the exception to the rule. This is a special resurrection. In other words, they're going to see Jesus in the second coming, and they're going to see Jesus in his third coming. And they're going to say the same words on both occasions, according to the spirit of prophecy. Now, let's go to one further verse. Matthew 26 and verse 64. This is where Caiaphas, the high priest, slaps Jesus. Matthew 26 and verse 64. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Sitting at the right hand of power. What does that mean? At the right hand of whom? Of God the Father. That's right. Where did Jesus sit when he went to heaven? He sat with his Father on his throne. By the way, after the millennium, Jesus has his own throne. He sits alone on a white throne. So this cannot be referring to an event after the millennium. So did Jesus say to, to Caiaphas that he was going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming upon the clouds of heaven? Absolutely. For that to happen, he would have to what? He would have to resurrect because at the second coming, he would be what? He would be dead. 
So there's going to be a special resurrection of a group of wicked people. Those who pierced Jesus. And we're going to notice in a few moments that Ellen White also says that the worst enemies of the truth from other periods are also going to be included in that resurrection. But there's also going to be a special resurrection of a group of righteous people. Now, go with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, and let's read verse 13. Revelation 14 and verse 13. Let me ask you, what has been described immediately before verse 13? What do you have in Revelation 14 immediately before verse 13? The three angels' messages. And which message is immediately before this verse? The third angel's message ends in verse 11. And then in verse, actually in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And then immediately after the third angel's message, you have what? You have this verse, which we don't really look at very much. It's one of those frequently ignored verses. Now notice. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed, That's important, blessed. Remember that word, key word. Blessed are the dead. How can dead people be blessed? Is this saying that all people who have died are blessed? No. It says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. From when on? What's the context? The context is from the moment that the third angel's message begins to be what? Begins to proclaim. Be uh, be proclaimed because the immediately preceding verse ends the third angel's message. Are you with me? Now, notice, there's some other interesting things in this verse. Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. So is there a special blessing upon a certain group of dead that die from the moment that the third angel's message begins to be proclaimed, according to this verse. Yes. This is not saying that all of the dead who died in Jesus are blessed. It's those who die from this point on, from the moment that the third angel's message begins to be proclaimed. And then notice the last part of the verse. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. And then what does the next verse describe? It describes the second coming of Jesus. Is there a special blessing pronounced upon those who die immediately after the third angel is proclaimed? Yes, there is. And what is the next event after this resurrection is spoken of? It's the coming of Jesus upon what? Upon the cloud. Now, let's go to another very interesting text, Daniel chapter 12. And I'm not going to get into a lot of detail in this. You know, if you really would like to uh, amplify your knowledge of the 1260, 1290, and 1335 days, uh, I have three tapes that I recorded just on these three time periods. And there's an excellent book also written by Gerhard Fandel at the uh, um, Biblical Research Institute of the General Conference. Uh, And also in the book Symposium on Daniel, written by William Shea, there's a a chapter in there where he deals with these time periods in a very convincing way. Now, notice Daniel chapter um, 12 and verse 7. Daniel 12 and verse 7. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be... It's interesting that he's raising his hand to heaven and he's swearing, right? That it shall be for a time and times and half a time and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. So you have how many many times? Three and a half what? Times. Have we encountered that before in the book of Daniel? We certainly have. Now, let's go to verse 11. It says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, 
there shall be 1,290 days. Okay? And then notice verse 12. Blessed is he who waits. What is the first word that's in that verse? Hmm. Blessed. Did we see that verse, some other, that word some other place? Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. says, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. In other words, blessed is he who remains alive until when? Until the 1,335 days come to an end. Now, why would this verse say, Blessed is he who comes unto the 1,335 days? I'm just going to give you the broad outline because you can read all of the supporting information. We don't have time to get into all of the details. But... I believe that the 1260, of course, the time, times, and half a time, refers to the period of the dominion of the little horn, of the papacy. I believe that the 1290 days, we interpret in a historicist fashion, they begin in the year 508, when Clovis, king of the Franks, gave the keys of the conquered cities of his kingdom that he had conquered to the Bishop of Rome. Now, this is the first time that the Bishop of Rome officially has temporal power. And if you go from 508, uh, 1,290 days forward, you come to what? 1798. Now, the 1,335 days also begin in 508, and they would end in 1844. Now, what happens in 1844? Is that the date that, that where you have the context of the three angels' messages? You most certainly do. And both of them begin by saying what? Blessed is he who waits, one says, and the other said, Blessed who, uh, th- are those who what? Who die henceforth in the Lord. Now somebody says, but Pastor Bohr, can't we give another application to these time periods? Well, let's go to Revelation 10 verse 6. Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6. I sure wish that we had time to get into these time periods. Maybe in some future meeting of uh, the GYC we can do that. Because there's so much to say on this. But Revelation 10 verse 6 says this. By the way, it's speaking about the little book, right? It says here, let's read verse 5 for the context. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. Did we see something like that raised up his hand to heaven? Where was it? In Daniel 12. Interesting. And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it. Where else do you find an expression like that? in the first angel's message. That's correct. And now notice the New King James. They said that they were only going to modernize the language. But the New King James also changes the sense sometimes. They didn't only update certain words like like the word that, uh, you know, the dead will not prevent those, the, the, the living will not prevent those who are asleep, which means that they won't precede those who are asleep to go to heaven. You know, the, the New King James is here says that there should be what? Delay no longer. That's not what the, what the text really says. The word that is used here is the word chronos, where we get our word chronology from. Now, is this referring to the end of time when it says that time will be no longer? It's the end of time. The end of the world has come. No. You say, why not? For two reasons. This is happen, happening during the period of the sixth trumpet. The end of the kingdoms of this world do not come to an end until the seventh trumpet. Are you understanding my point or not? So the time that it says where time will be no longer, 
Time still lingers after the sixth trumpet all the way to the seventh trumpet, time as we know it in the history of this world. Even more important, immediately after the angel says that time will be no longer, we are told you must go and prophesy again. Now if time had come to an end, how could you go out and prophesy? What good would it do if the end of time had come? Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so, Revelation 10 and verse 6 does not refer to the end of the history of the world, to the end of time. It refers to a particular Bible prophecy. And which prophecy is that? The prophecy of the 2300 days. By the way, this passage in Revelation 10 has to do with a little book. It says that the little book is opened. Where in the Old Testament do you find a little book that was shut? It's not all the book of Daniel. It's the part of Daniel that has to do with the 2300 days. And that's a whole topic in in itself. To prove biblically that the little book is not all of Daniel. The little book is actually Daniel 8 through 12. Because Daniel 8 through 12 has to do only with a 2300 day prophecy. The center of all of those chapters is the 2300 days. So what this angel is saying is that when the 2300 days come to an end, what's going to happen? There will be no more prophecies having to do with time. 1844 is the last according to the spirit of prophecy. That's the reason why I don't believe that you can take the 1260 and the 1290 and the 1335 and apply them to the future. Because Ellen White says that there's not going to be any more prophecies having to do with time, whether prophetic time or literal time. She says, don't set any more dates. There's not going to be any more dates. And she has not only one quotation or two, she has... If you want to look in the book End Time Events, you can find a whole chapter on time setting where you find all of these quotations. And so what I'm saying is that uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 12, when it speaks about the 1335 days, it says, Blessed is he who reaches unto 1844 when the third angel's message is proclaimed. And why are they especially blessed? Because Revelation chapter 14 says they die in the Lord, they'll rest from their labors, and I believe that they will participate in a special resurrection. You know, say, do you have any other evidence? Yes, we do. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Once again, Daniel chapter 12, and let's read verse 2. And then we're going to go to the spirit of prophecy. Daniel chapter 12, and notice verse 2. Actually, let's read verse 1 for the context. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And now notice. And many. All? All? No. It says many of those who sleep. Is that a term that we found in Revelation 14? They will rest from their labors. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Shall awake. Some of those many will come forth to what? To everlasting life. Some to what? Shame and everlasting contempt. Did we already study who are the ones who will come forth to shame and everlasting contempt? Who are those? Some. Not all the wicked. Some. Those who pierce Jesus. Who would be the righteous? Some who will resurrect to everlasting life. Some of the righteous will resurrect to everlasting life. Who would those be? Blessed are those who die henceforth or from now on in the Lord. Blessed are those who reach unto the what? The 1300 
and 35 days. Now allow me to go to the spirit of prophecy and see if Ellen White caught this. You know, when you really take a close look at Ellen White, I'm amazed to see uh, the in-depth knowledge that she had about these things. She got them all right in their proper order. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, you have several events. It says, Michael stands up. Right? And it says that after Michael stands up, there's going to be a time of what? A time of trouble. But at the end of the time of trouble, God's people are going to be what? Delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And then it says, many who sleep in the dust of the earth will arise. So, do those who resurrect in the special resurrection, resurrect at the same time that God's people are delivered. The living saints are delivered. Absolutely. Now, I want you to notice, Great Controversy, page 671. Great Controversy, page 671. It speaks there. Actually, it's not six. I'm giving you the Spanish page. So I see I give this in Spanish and in English. Actually, it's in Great Controversy 613, in the English Great Controversy. 613. The title of the chapter is The Time of Trouble. And she begins that chapter by quoting Daniel 12 and verse 1. Where is she at? In Daniel. She's in Daniel 12, verse 1. The first phrase, Michael stands up. By the way, what does that mean that Michael stands up? It's actually the close of probation. To stand up earlier in the chapter means to begin to reign. That's when Jesus begins to reign. He changes his priestly garments to his what? To his kingly garments. Ellen White says that specifically. And by the way, you don't need Ellen White for that. All you have to do is use a little bit of... uh, Sanctified logic. You say, now how is that? How is Je- what is Jesus' function today? High priest. How, is he, how is he robed? High priest. As a high priest. When Jesus returns a second time, how is he dressed? So sometime in between he must have changed. Does that make sense? When he comes, he comes dressed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19. But Hebrews says that he's dressed as high priest. So sometime before he returns, he must have changed his garments. So you have this chapter on the time of trouble. Then, do you know what the title of the next chapter is? She quotes, Michael shall stand up. Then the whole chapter deals with the time of trouble. And the next chapter, do you know what the title is? God's people delivered. Is she commenting Daniel 12 and verse 1? She most certainly is. She quotes Daniel 12 verse 1. Then she speaks on that same page about the close of probation. Then she speaks about the time of trouble. Then she speaks about the deliverance of God's people. By the way, that's uh, the deliverance of God's people is found on page 635 and page 636. Now I want to go to page 637. Listen to this. And I want you to notice the sequence. She caught this point. She says, Graves are opened, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. She quoting Daniel 12, verse 2, right? Then she says this, All who have died in the faith of the third angel's message come forth from the tomb glorified. Who comes forth from the tomb glorified? Those who died in the what? Those who died in the faith of the third angel's message, come forth from the tomb glorified to hear God's covenant of peace with those who have kept his law. 
And now notice. They also who pierced him. Those that mocked and derided Christ's dying agonies. And the most violent opposers of his truth and his people. Are raised to behold him in his glory. And to see the honor placed upon the loyal and obedient. But the second coming hasn't taken place yet. What? Are you kidding? Revelation 14 verse 13, the next event is the second coming. Right? Now, notice page 637. Page 637. Oh, that's the one I just read. Let's go to page 640. Page 640. It's a little later on in the chapter, right? Notice what Ellen White has to say here. The voice of God, she speaks about phenomena in nature, you know, earthquake and uh, the sun, moon and stars being moved out of their places, etc. And then she says, the voice of God is heard from heaven declaring the day and hour of Jesus' coming. So he hasn't come yet at this point. And delivering the everlasting covenant to his people. Like peals of loudest thunder, his words roll through the earth. The Israel of God stand listening. Notice how, how she interprets Israel. The Israel of God. Not literal Jews. The Israel of God stand listening with their eyes fixed upward. Their countenances are lighted up with his glory. And shine as did the face of Moses when he came down from Sinai. The wicked cannot look upon them. And when the blessing is pronounced on those who have honored God by keeping His Sabbath holy, there is a mighty shout of victory. And then notice this. Soon. By the way, Ellen White says this is going to take several days. Allow me to read you this statement. It's found in the book Maranatha, page uh, 287. Uh, She says, I saw a flaming cloud come where Jesus stood. Then Jesus took His place on the cloud which carried Him to the east where it first appeared to the saints on earth, a small black cloud which was the sign of the Son of Man. While the cloud was passing from the holiest to the east, which took a number of days, the synagogue of Satan worshipped at the saints' feet. Second coming is going to take quite a few days. Now notice what she continues saying. Soon there appears in the east a small black cloud, about half the size of a man's hand. It is the cloud which surrounds the Savior and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man. In solemn silence they gaze upon it as it draws nearer the earth, becoming lighter and more glorious until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory like consuming fire and above it the rainbow of the covenant. Jesus rides forth as mighty conqueror Not now a man of sorrows to drink the bitter cup of shame and woe. He comes victor in heaven and earth to judge the living and the dead. Faithful and true in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And the armies which were in heaven follow him. With anthems of celestial melody, the holy angels, a vast unnumbered throng, attend him on his way. But now notice something very interesting. It's not till page 644 that you have the general resurrection of the righteous. When he's already here. Are you with me or are you not with me? Allow me to read the description. She says, amid this page 644, amid the reeling of the earth, the flash of lightning, and the roar of thunder, the voice of the Son of God calls forth the sleeping saints. He looks upon the graves of the righteous. Then raising his hands to heaven, he cries, Awake, 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 ye that sleep in the dust, and arise. This doesn't happen when Jesus begins his second coming. This happens when Jesus is, the cloud is already above the earth. She continues saying, Throughout the, the length and breadth of the earth, the dead shall hear the, that voice, and they, shall he, they that heal, hear shall live. 
And the whole earth shall ring with the, with the tread of the exceeding great army of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. From the prison house of death they come, clothed with immortal glory, crying, O death, where is thy sting? Or grave, where is thy victory? And the living righteous and the risen, risen saints unite their voices in a long, glad shout of victory. And now notice this. All come forth from the graves in the same stature as when they entered the tomb. Later on she says that partaking of the leaves of the tree of life, which are for the healing of the nations, we shall grow to the size of the original race. She says, Adam, who stands among the risen throng, when is Adam going to resurrect? Is it in the special resurrection? No, it's in the general resurrection. She says, Adam, who stands among the risen throng, is of lofty height and majestic form and stature, but little below the Son of God. And then she goes on to describe several other things. Are you following the sequence of what Ellen White is saying? Now, here's the question. Why would God perform this special resurrection? What would be the purpose? Why doesn't he just have everybody resurrect in the general resurrection when he's above the earth? There's a specific purpose. Let me give you two reasons why. There's going to be, during this period, some very special events taking place. Let me ask you, those who are alive when Jesus comes, will they have gone through a severe time of trouble? Will they have faced the beast and his image and the issue of the mark? And will the wicked be surrounding the righteous to try and destroy them? Let me ask you, those who died before the three angels' messages, do they really understand any of this that's going on? No. And so Jesus actually spares them living during this period when God's people are delivered, when Jesus comes on the clouds, because they're expecting simply to see Jesus come on the clouds. Now, another reason, and this is a more important reason, is that the wicked believed that they were right and God's people were wrong. They mistreated God's people. They persecuted God's people. Have you ever read in the message to the Church of Philadelphia that uh, it says that I will make the synagogue of Satan come and worship at your feet? Do you know how Ellen White interprets the synagogue of Satan? She says the synagogue of Satan are those, is composed of those who want to cast aside the law of God. And she says Satan has his church. And they want to blur the distinction between good and evil. In fact, she identifies the synagogue of Satan as the same thing as Babylon. It's the religious world. Let me ask you, how were the Millerites treated? How, how were uh, Ellen White and the pioneers treated after the great disappointment by the churches? They were cast out. People made fun of them. You're crazy. See, this prophecy uh, that you thought was going to be fulfilled wasn't fulfilled. And when they explained that Jesus entered the most holy place, they said this is the greatest face-saving gimmick in history. But you know what? These people are going to resurrect and they are going to see the glorification of God's living saints and they are going to see the resurrection of those whom proclaimed the three angels' messages. And they are going to, like the Bible says, they're going to fall at the feet of God's people and they are going to admit that God loved His people. In other words, God's people, those who died in the faith of the message of the third angel, are going to have the speed that they have gone through this period. They've understood this message. Jesus is going to give them the special privilege of seeing the second coming of Jesus from beginning to end. Now, have any of you ever heard that Ellen White is going to be among the 144,000? I've heard many people say that. 
But the fact is, folks, that Ellen White never says that she is going to be among the 144,000. Ellen White says that she was going to be with the 144,000. Never once does she say that she was going to be among the 144,000. Let me ask you, is there a difference between being among and being with? Yes. And some people even have concluded that Ellen White said that some people who had died were going to be among the 144,000. Let me read you this statement. Uh, This is uh, Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 63. Ellen White is talking about a sister, uh, Hastings, who died. She's trying to comfort her husband. She says, Dear brother, I hardly know what to say to you. The news of your wife's death was to me overwhelming. I could hardly believe it and can hardly believe it now. God gave me a view last Sabbath night, which I will write. I saw that she was sealed and that would come up at the voice of God and stand upon the earth and would be with the 144,000. I saw we need not mourn for her. She would rest in the time of trouble. I want you to remember that. She would rest in the time of trouble and all that we could mourn for was our loss in being deprived of her company. I saw her death would result in good. Does Ellen White say that Sister Hastings was going to be among the 144,000? No, she says that she was going to be with the 144,000. By the way, in early writings, page 15, Ellen White was transported in vision to the future. And she accompanied the 144,000 to the holy city in vision, as if she was living in the future. Furthermore, on page 40, uh, page 40 of early writings, the angel promised Ellen White that if she was faithful, she would be able to go to the holy city with the 144,000. Not among, with the 144,000. Now let me ask you this. Why does Ellen White say that, though, that this sister Hastings who died, and that the angel said that Ellen White, if she was faithful, they would be with the 144,000? Because this lady died after 1844. Ellen White died after 1844. They will resurrect. See, the the saints who are delivered are the 144,000. Those are the living saints. But at the same time that they're delivered, what happens? You have the special resurrection of this special group of righteous people who preached the three angels' messages and who stood before the beast, his image, and refused to receive the mark when the religious world said, you're wrong and we're right. And they will stand with the 144,000 as they watch Jesus for several days coming on the clouds of heaven, returning to the earth. And when Jesus is here, above the earth, then Jesus calls forth all of the other saints from all other ages. Are you following me? Now, allow me to mention one or two things more. Every Seventh-day Adventist, there will be no Seventh-day Adventist who will resurrect in the general resurrection. (laughs) Did you catch that? There will be no Seventh-day Adventists who will resurrect in the general resurrection, in the special general resurrection. All will resurrect in the what? Special resurrection. Because if we die, we die in the third angel's message. But there will be some wicked people, not only those who pierce Jesus, but the greatest enemies of the truth who will resurrect in that special resurrection. And they will resurrect in the general resurrection after the millennium too. I'm not going to mention any names. But there's an individual in the world today, in the United States, whose only mission is to attempt to destroy the Seventh-day Adventist Church and to steal as many members as possible. He's rejected every distinctive 
truth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He's rejected the spirit of prophecy. He's rejected the investigative judgment. He's rejected the state of the dead. He's rejected the Sabbath. He's rejected the law. He's rejected health reform. He threw it all overboard. Unless he repents, what's going to happen? I believe that he will be in this special resurrection of those who are the greatest enemies of the people of God. Allow me to read you a statement from Great Controversy, page 608. Great Controversy, page 608. Is this the English page or the Spanish page? <laughs> Actually, it's... Um, Let's see here. Yeah, it says Great Controversy 608. Here it is. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message but have not been sanctified through the obedience to the truth abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. Now listen. I believe that many of those who are liberals today who want to unite with the world and share with the spirit of the world will be in this group. Hopefully not all of them. We need to pray for them. That the Holy Spirit will reach them and bring them back. She continues saying, by uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. That is the politically correct side. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them and by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. In this time of persecution, the faith of the Lord's servants will be tried. It's a dangerous thing to have known the truth and to turn back from it. Because where there is much knowledge, there is much responsibility. Where there is great light, we are accountable for that great light. Now, I want to conclude, before we allow for ten minutes of, of questions, by reading you a passage from Great Controversy on the 144,000. The 144,000 and the great multitude. Now, some believe that the 144,000 and the great multitude are two different groups. Ellen White, in this passage, in Great Controversy, seems to indicate, I think very persuasively, that the 144,000 and the great multitude are interchangeable terms for the same group. Let me read this passage. It's powerful. She says, this is page 648 and 649, she says, Upon the crystal sea before the throne, that sea of glass as it were mingled with fire, so resplendent is it with the glory of God, are gathered the company, now notice this, are gathered the company that have gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. Revelation 15, verse 2. With the Lamb upon Mount Zion, having the harps of God, they stand. Notice the word they is used here. This is a good, good series of sermons on they. <laughs> With the Lamb upon Mount Zion, having the harps of God, they stand. Who stands? Those who have gained the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark. They stand. The 144,000 that were redeemed from among men. She's quoting Revelation 14 here. And there is heard as the sound of many waters and as the sound of a great thunder, the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Still Revelation 14, verse 3. And they sing a new song. Still Revelation 14. 
before the throne, a song which no man can learn save the 144,000. Is he still talking about the 144,000? Yes. It is the song of Moses and the Lamb, a song of deliverance. Are these who, the ones who are delivered when Jesus comes? Certainly. None but the 144,000. She's still discussing the 144,000? Yes. None but the 144,000 can learn that song, for it is the song of their experience, an experience such as no other company have ever had. Then she quotes, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. That's Revelation 14, verse 1. Now notice, these, having been translated from the earth, from among the living, what was that? Trans, what does translated mean? She's going to explain. These, having been translated from the earth, from among the living, are counted as the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. She's still quoting Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5. But now notice what she says. These are they which came out of the great tribulation. That's a quotation from the great multitude. She says they have passed through the time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Did Sister Hast was Sister Hastings going to go through that time of trouble? No. They have endured the anguish of the time of Jacob's trouble. They have stood without an intercessor through the final outpouring of God's judgments. But they have been delivered, for they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's a quotation from the great multitude. In their mouth was found no guile, for they are fault without fault before God. Now she's back to Revelation 14, which refers to the 144,000. Then she quotes, once again, about the great multitude. She says, therefore are they... Uh, therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They have seen the earth wasted with famine and pestilence, the sun having power to scorch men with great heat. That's the fourth plague, by the way. And they themselves have endured suffering, hunger, and thirst. And now she quotes a, a passage from the great multitude. But they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sunlight on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Ellen White intermingles Revelation 14 and Revelation 7, the description of 144,000 of the great multitude, and she says that both of those are translated to heaven from among the what? The living. They are an interchangeable group. Well, let's take now, we have about four minutes, four or five minutes left. Uh, any questions? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the, the, the view that, that general, pardon me? Yeah, the question is whether the great multitude and the 144,000 are the same group. Uh, you know, we usually have heard that the great multitude are those who last minute give their life to the Lord, including perhaps some of the people who died, and they're a separate group from the 144,000. In the light of this verse, and in the light of a careful study of Revelation 7, what we have is that Revelation 7, 1 through 8, speaks about the sealing of the 144,000 when they are receiving the seal to be protected when they are going to go through the tribulation. The last half of the chapter, beginning with verse 9 through verse 17, describes the same group that have come out of the great tribulation. And so, and so really, you have two different, two different time perspectives of the same group. One, the sealing of 144,000, and the other a portrayal is of them after they have come out uh, from the Great Tribulation. They will resurrect in, the, in, in what resurrection? They'll resurrect in the special resurrection. That's right. Martyrs will resurrect in the special resurrection. The living saints are whom? The 144,000. Yes. Isn't there something that 
Yes, there will be a group that will be as if they'd never been. That's true. Uh, the question is whether there's going to be a certain group, those, those slaves who didn't have a conscience of their own because their master lorded it over them. By the way, allow me to mention this. Very clearly, Revelation 7 says that the great multitude serves God in his temple day and night. Ellen White explicitly says that only the 144,000 enter the temple. Are you following what I'm saying? Now you say, but to say 144,000 in number and to say a multitude no one can number, that's a contradiction. Well, the book of Revelation is full of contrasts. Jesus is spoken of as a lion and a lamb. Right? The book of Revelation is full of contrasts. The woman is seated on a scarlet beast and she's seated on the waters and she's seated on the mountains. Where is she seated? <laughs> See, there are two different portrayers or way of looking at the same group. By the way, if you're interested in getting my written material on this, I have a hard copy material where I've studied it very carefully. Uh, you can uh, go to our website or you can contact me by email. I'll be glad to send you a copy of it so that you can read the full uh, presentation of this. Well, I guess time is up. Thank you for being here and uh, I hope you understood most of what we said. <laughs>